0: Support comes from Mosby Building Arts, a design-build company committed to remodeling the right way. Visit callmosby.com to get project inspiration for any room of your house.
1: It's Friday, September 23rd. This is The Gateway. I'm Wayne Pratt. The Army Corps of Engineers may not be best known for archaeology, but the federal agency has to maintain any historic objects it digs up. A lot needs managing, and the Corps pairs it with career coaching for military veterans. Coming from an infantry background, I never thought this was possible for a
0: grunt, basically. Like, that's not what we were ever taught.
1: In just a few minutes, St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports on how the Corps' archival work helps former service members find better jobs. A $60 million venue in the historic Armory building in St. Louis will open in December for food, live music, and other entertainment. As St. Louis Public Radio's Jeremy Goodwin reports, developers say eventually it will become the largest indoor entertainment attraction in the city. The Armory will fill 250,000 square feet when it's fully built out next spring. Green Street Real Estate Ventures is behind the project. CEO Philip Hulse says it's the centerpiece of an entertainment district that will one day span from Grand Boulevard to Van Aventer Street in Midtown. We're going to revitalize this into a mixed-use entertainment district that will attract literally millions of people into the city. The armory will accommodate 5,000 people for occasional concerts, which gives it a larger capacity than the fabulous Fox Theater. In a nod to the building's history as a tennis venue, it will eventually include a St. Louis Tennis Hall of Fame. I'm Jeremy Goodwin, St. Louis Public Radio. A St. Louis Board of Aldermen Committee is moving forward with a bill that would bring federal coronavirus relief money to arts organizations. The roughly $10.5 million would allow the Regional Arts Commission to use federal funds for organizations and programs that shut down during the pandemic. Arts leaders say the measure is critical since organizations and events bring in almost $600 million a year. That's more than all local sports combined. Alderman Dan Gunther is the bill's sponsor.
2: It is what we believe will be helpful and uh, help not only replace lost revenue, but also help grow our arts programming and our our culture in the city of St. Louis.
1: The measure now heads to the full board. A spokesperson for Mayor Tashara Jones says she supports the bill. The Republican candidate for St. Louis County Executive is sounding familiar themes of competence as he campaigns for the seat in November's election. St. Louis Public Radio's Rachel Littman has more from Mark Montavani's appearance on Politically Speaking.
0: Montavani ran in the Democratic primaries for county executive in 2018 and 2020. But earlier this month, the GOP chose him to replace Catherine Pinner, who dropped out after winning the primary. Montevani knows his views on some social issues, like LGBTQ rights, do not align with his new party but he says they aren't the critical issues facing the county.
1: The issues facing St. Louis County today have to do with managing the St. Louis County government as an enterprise, which I I think has been uh, uh, very poorly managed.
0: Montevani says his experience as a business owner and attorney makes him the better candidate in the race. I'm Rachel Lipman. St. Louis Public Radio.
1: Missouri's two political parties are closely monitoring a St. Louis County state Senate race. Republican George Harusa and Democrat Tracy McCreary are seeking to represent cities like Kirkwood, Maryland Heights, and Fenton. It's the only Senate seat that's considered competitive this year. Harusa says inflation and crime are big issues among voters. McCreary contends A majority back her views supporting abortion rights and gun control.
2: People in
1: this state Senate district share, they share the same concerns and um, passions that I do, and I think I'll be a really great fit for state senator for the folks that are in this footprint. Voters will decide the McCreary-Harusa contest on November 8th. The Army Corps of Engineers is probably best known for its work on waterways, think locks, dams, and levees. Those projects also unearth many historic artifacts the Corps must document and maintain. St. Louis Public Radio's Eric Schmidt reports on how the Corps has found success pairing the archaeological work with job training for veterans. Lab technician Richard Schmidt is hard at work, carefully rubbing
0: away some old adhesive on a set of 35-year-old documents. You can kind of see it, I don't know. It's just sticky. <laughs> Schmidt, a Navy veteran, bounced through a few jobs before landing here at the Veterans' Curation Program, where today he's cleaning the field notes from an Army Corps project in Pennsylvania. The documents, uh, I, this used to be a lot dirtier, so I Took off all the mud that was loose. Elsewhere in the small office in downtown St. Louis, other veterans like Chris Miller rustle through bags filled with small artifacts. A lot of just what people would call rocks. A lot of rocks. There are rare objects too, like arrowheads and pottery shards. Every artifact is weighed, labeled, cataloged in a computer database, and eventually photographed. It's vital work, says Sharon Kenobi, an anthropologist with the St. Louis District of the Army Corps of Engineers. And the Corps has turned to former service members to do it. Twice a year, Kenobi's lab brings in a new set of vets to serve as paid lab technicians. We want to make sure that we have employment, we want to provide job skills for veterans while they rehabilitate these at-risk Army Corps of Engineers collections. So it's, it's kind of a, a two-fold deal. Now, you might be wondering, What part of working with rocks translates into job skills? Lab technician Miller says the work focuses on records management, which applies beyond archeology. span There are other jobs out there besides this that deal with archives and collections of some sort. Coming from an infantry background, I never thought this was possible for a grunt, basically. Like, that's not what we were ever taught. Miller served 10 years in the Army, including three deployments to Iraq and one to South Korea. More recently, he says he's worked as a truck driver and on river barges, but his body can't handle those roles anymore. In the lab, he's doing less physical work and gets coached on things like resumes, cover letters, interviews, and networking. Before this, I've never dealt with a resume or anything. like. I've always been in high-turnover jobs. So you just go and apply, you get hired and start working. Schmidt also appreciates this attention on career development and says it's something he wishes he had sooner after serving six years as a bosun's mate in the Navy. And then when I got out, I was just like in California, no family. I was more focused on finding what I was passionate about, which is a good thing, but I wasn't focused on a long-term plan. Schmidt says the attention he's getting now keeps him locked on his goal of going into cybersecurity after he finishes up school at Lindenwood University. Kenobi, who manages the nationwide veterans curation program, says it's seen more than 700 vets since it started in 2009, and more than 90% of them have landed full-time jobs or continued to further education afterward. You know, you have people who turn out to be chefs. Uh, they have people who, you know, start their own business or, you know, go on to work at A museum or archives, but it's not necessarily archaeology. St. Louis is one of the Corps' four locations that does this work with veterans. The others are in Georgia, Virginia, and California, and temporary locations pop up too. Right now, they're at universities in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and San Marco, Texas. I'm Eric Schmidt, St. Louis Public Radio.
1: This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration reporting on American military life. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Before wrapping up, six young reporters took on an intensive radio boot camp last week at St. Louis Public Radio. It was part of NPR's Next Generation Radio Project. Their assignment was to tell stories about living with climate change. Jasmine Franks profiled one of the thousands of people affected by this year's storms and floods.
2: My name is LaWanda. My last name is Felder. I'm 28. We're currently in St. Louis, Missouri, Jenny's area to be exact. My daughter, she's two months. Her name is Aza Ali. My 20-month-old, his name is Ahmad Rahim. It was raining, it was coming down pretty hard, and I didn't think too much of it. Well, I packed my daughter up, and I was going back to get my from childcare. I'm just looking, and I'm like, it's coming down so, so bad. The raindrops were coming down so hard, it made you question, was it healing? So I just kept saying, please, 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 God, please do not let my basement flood. I got the call as I was getting my children out of the car, and my mom said my cousin's basement was flooded, and I knew I was done for. My son, he has a sensory problem. He didn't understand that he couldn't go in the basement and play. So I had to go to Sam's, pick up foam mats to put on the floor in his room so when he's laying down, he's not bumping his head. It was kind of frustrating because I was upset and he was also upset, which added to the aura of the room. It just made everyone frustrated because he's so used to going down there and playing and there's no way to make him to understand. So you have to reroute and try to find a way to get through it. By the time that the water did leave and drain out, the pictures were soaking wet and sticking together. It's small things people don't understand. It's something that you can't put a price on. It kind of make you frustrated because COVID ruined so much, and I'm sorry for turning up. It's just stuff that can't be replaced. Things you don't think about till you need them. I still have a bit of anxiety because it rained two days ago and I just kept going down the steps checking. I feel as if common change does have something to do with the flooding because what people don't understand, is affecting everywhere. Juggling all of that, it upsets you because whether you're trying to be green or go green or just preserve the earth with little measures, people don't understand it. So it makes you want to become more active in your community, more active in who you vote in. You try to do better. You got to be the change you want to see.
1: That was Lawanda Felder. The Next Generation Radio Report was produced by Jasmine Franks. We have more at stlpr.org and we'll be airing other Next Gen stories next week during Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and here on The Gateway, which is a production of St. Louis Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Music, as always, by Ryan McNeely of Adult Fur. I'm Wayne Pratt. Have a great weekend.